Said I'd meet and I'd wait and let it stay down From shit to sunshine Surviving to thriving The people that have gone from surviving to thriving Surviving the biggest shit in their life Turning their lives into thriving amazingness Surviving to thriving Surviving to thriving Surviving to thriving from shit to sunshine. Hi everyone, welcome to the Shit to Sunshine podcast. You're here with your hosts Lois Goodman and Lauren Free. And today we are interviewing Laura and Bex from the Worst Girl Gang Ever. So hi ladies. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's really lovely to have you. And we just we're going to start with um, what your stories are. So maybe you could both give us like a brief rundown of sort of how your your past has kind of informed you being here today and mm-hmm. a little bit about the worst girl gang ever. Sure. Um, well, I uh, have four children now, but I had three, three babies and was pregnant with my fourth and went to my 12-week scan um, and found out that our baby had died a couple of weeks earlier and it was um, right in the depths of COVID so I was on my own and I was just devastated and I was completely floored by the fact I didn't really know much about much about miscarriage and I felt that you were I thought ignorantly that you were either someone who had miscarriages or you weren't and so when I had mine, it it really did knock the wind out of my sails, and um and I couldn't find any support anywhere. Everything that I found was sort of very information led and resource based. You know, I found out what a miscarriage is, but I didn't necessarily find out how to heal your heart following one. And being a writer, I, I just wrote about it, and it really helped. And then I had um, a piece published in a newspaper over in in the UK, and. Um, I put some stuff on social media as well and the stuff that I put I shared a post in a in a public forum on social media and it went kind of viral with all these women contacting me saying oh this happened to me this happened to me like 30 years ago I never forget it oh it was awful and it just made me think that to start with I really felt like my grief was disproportionate to my loss because it felt like no one was talking about the brutality of of baby loss and no one was talking about the isolation no one's talking about the darkness that you enter into when you find out that you're not going to have the baby that you've been dreaming of and and I felt like maybe everyone else is all right you know maybe this doesn't affect people like it's affecting me and then I felt like what's wrong with me that that this is affecting me so badly and then I thought <laughs> no that can't be right after I wrote this article I thought that can't be right other people must be suffering in the way that I'm suffering so I really tried to open up the forum to find these people and share our stories to, to start to heal. And during that process, I met Laura. And I, right from the beginning, I just wanted I just wanted the experience. I know that it's not going anywhere. You know, the rates of miscarriage are one in four pregnancies. And I just wanted to make the experience slightly less dark and lonely for someone in the future. So yeah, I shared the post and wrote the story and um, and that's when I met Laura. Yeah, so I got in touch with Bex after I saw her having this um, passionate rant on a Facebook Live 
Um, she was in her, in her garden really quite angry about the fact that there's no support out there. And if, if it is, it's really difficult to find. Um, so I messaged her and we got chatting and then we knew that we sort of shared the same goal in making this experience less isolating for others. Um, but I'd been living in the baby loss world for years, eight, nine years at the time, I think. And um, I'd been through a series of recurrent miscarriages. I just had my son who was um, about a year old when we got chatting. Um, I, he was my eighth pregnancy. I'd lost the seven before him. I'd been through um, early miscarriages, mis miscarriages, molar pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy. Um, so yeah, did quite well at the older miscarriage, baby loss, bingo. But when I met Bex, we, yeah, we, we got chatting and we were like, we need to do something. And at the time we didn't really know what it was we could do. Um, we started off talking a little bit about um, educating in schools and setting up face-to-face -face local support groups and things like that. And then it wasn't long after we started talking that we came up with the idea of doing the podcast and that's where it all began really yeah and then following the podcast we as Laura said we like we we didn't actually meet each other in real life for the first what because of lockdown because we were in lockdown she was mm. she was Kent so she was like you know multiple lockdowns. do you remember when we were in tears here too yeah yeah, yeah. we had this Darren we had this like rule of six you could only meet with six that's right <laughs> Then you meet outside if you're in the park, you had to be on your own, you couldn't sit on a bench, like it was the most ridiculous, wasn't it? Was it was like such a long time ago, but then almost immediately afterwards, you could all go out to dinner, uh, yeah. Yeah. right? And have a party at number 10, don't forget that. Yeah, well, the party at number 10 was the day after I found out that our baby had died. Oh, wow. And when that story hit and I saw the date, I just thought, like, I was in my own without my husband, he was in the car, and then the very next day, Boris Johnson had a a party and I know this isn't a political podcast but I think that really hit home for me because I wasn't I wasn't alone in that circumstance and I would have given anything oh god I never will not get emotional about this but I would have given anything just to have someone I know there to hold my hand and tell me it was going to be okay and it just that for me really like it really rubbed salt in the wound that I was denied that and yet other stuff was going on yeah no anyway I <laughs> We, so we started the podcast and then we shortly, about a year after that, we started running online courses because the podcast was so popular. We thought it's just going to be like our mums and some of our friends that downloaded it. But I think we're approaching 400,000 downloads now. Wow. We've done five series. We've, yeah, it's it's been incredible. And then we put the courses together, sort of wellbeing courses for women following miscarriage and baby loss, all kinds of baby loss. And We've just created an amazing community where people can come and share their lost story and feel not feel alone. And and it is it's a really, really special thing. And it's a real privilege to be able to provide some sort of comfort and light in the darkness of another's world, I think. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, for, there was nothing like that for me when I had sort of my main I would call it my main loss because it was the one that affected me the most. And I've had other baby losses, but losing Noah our daughter was was the big one for me um 
just because it affected me the most and I just remember you know we had counseling we had all of this but there was nothing like you guys around and when I discovered you I was like this is the most amazing thing ever and yeah it, it, you really are a lighthouse to so many people so it really is incredible we both thought that we both realized the importance of the peer-to-peer -peer support mm. because we truly believe that unless you've been through something like this yourself it's really difficult to understand it yeah. um bex you've got oh, a lovely yeah. phrase <laughs> bex, bex says this phrase all the time go on well <laughs> from an emotional point of view you can't understand baby loss but from an educational perspective we can teach it and you can learn it so you can you can learn how to support but women and couples going through this horrible horrible experience and and you can learn what to say what's helpful and what's less helpful and you can learn what they need what the majority of people need you know just by mm. paying attention to 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 things like this right just by by wanting to be there for someone in the in their darkness i think you can educate yourself um, mm. and that's what we're kind of looking to do is is providing that that support for the women and couples within our community but also reaching out beyond the community and trying to we've done loads of workshops for the sort of bigger corporate companies and how to treat your employees and colleagues after baby loss and that's that's going really well and we're just about to launch something really really cool but we can't talk about it mm -hmm. um but obviously we, we what we can talk about is our book that was published yeah yes last year so that was it's called the worst girl gang ever it's very original survival guide <laughs> for navigating miscarriage and pregnancy loss yeah and that's one, I love the name <laughs> yeah so so it's all moving in the right direction it's been a really when I think now that we only started just over two years ago it's been an unbelievably busy time and I've been fortunate enough to have a baby during that time my rainbow baby and of course pregnancy after loss is not the kind of relief that you would imagine it to be um, and that everyone treats it like. So I found that experience really, really challenging to navigate. So we've built support around that as well. And we're building support around parenting after loss um, because there, there's a lot of, I think with all these things, it's nice to be among people who understand the pain that you, that it's taken you to get where you are. And there's so many triggers and so many people, especially with pe early parenting, there's so many people so ready to tell you how sleep deprived they are and how this and how that. And, and when you are in that space of desperately wanting to be sleep deprived and desperately, you know, finding the silence that you experience during the night and in the morning stifling, mm. you don't want to be hearing how miserable other people are because mm. they're up three times in the night. So what we're doing is creating a really, really safe space for women to have all those experiences within their kind of within that group of people that really really know where they came from to get here that's what we're hoping and we're building support for partners as well yeah I saw that I love that that is just yeah because it's I think the men get a bit left out don't they yeah I think partners mm. is because they're not the, the baby carrying party yeah. is um is is a really difficult one to get your head around because I th also think they're the one you know you phone some someone's gone through this horrible experience you phone them you say oh how is she doing you don't phone them and say how are you doing and how is she doing you know there's there's a lot of pressure to have that stiff upper lip and to have to, to be that support for your other half so the support that we're offering will probably look very different and it might even be like this is how you support your partner through this experience or or whatever but it's equally as important right we can't overlook it was their baby too it takes people two people to make make a baby and and you're both parents 
absolutely we actually asked um a group of men what it was that they struggled with most and what they needed support with most and um it, what came back was an overwhelming sense of I didn't know how to support my partner uselessness mm. that those feelings of uselessness and you know horrible it's horrible to watch someone someone you love in pain isn't it yeah it really is it really is and actually in turn for me personally as much as I think my husband found it difficult to support me I I also found it difficult to support him because they're very you know I'm not saying all partners are men just for the record for the podcast um but for me and I, I just felt that he was very um he dealt with it in such a different way that he needed different support he really did you know from someone that got where he was coming from and even the therapy that we had it was I found it very cathartic and I think he found it a little bit but he almost like was like well I'm not sure this is for me I'm not sure this is the kind of support that I need I need to maybe do this a bit differently and there's just there just wasn't anything out there like that so it's, it's really interesting you say that Lois because a part a lot of a big part of what we do is support for couples. So we do, we have sex therapy and we have relationship counsellors within our sort of course structure. And they um, give little tasks and stuff, take home tasks about how to communicate better and how to how to, how to argue better, you know? And, and that I think is so important because when you're on a different page from your partner, because you expect to grieve in the same way, which is crazy, really, because you don't expect to do anything else in the same way necessarily as, as because you're not you're not the same person. Mm -hmm. But sometimes often, you know, we get women saying to us, he didn't he doesn't didn't love the baby as much as I did. Or I feel like he, he doesn't cry. And why isn't he upset? Or why doesn't he why doesn't he care? Or why isn't he in a mess like me? And and it's not that it's just that they're processing it differently at a different speed or in a different way. And and then that can breed a real sort of resentment between a couple. And what we want to do is bring that focus back round. So we give couples the tools that they need to get back on the same page and, and grieve simultaneously, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, it's quite an amazing thing that you've done, really, isn't it? <laughs> if you think about well, I know you maybe think, oh, no, no. But really, it is amazing. It is because you have filled a massive hole um of need for people that are grieving and and experiencing baby loss of all of all kinds so honestly I think Actually, it's really we important. get messages every day from people um saying things like um my, my marriage you saved my marriage or you know I'm I don't know where I'd be without yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It is amazing, but I think for such a long time, the subject of baby loss has been so taboo and so swept under the carpet and and not talked about that people don't understand how multifaceted it is. People don't understand that under the umbrella of baby loss, there are so many different types. There is so much different emotion. There is so many different sort of categories, if you like, and, and your relationship is one of them and how you're in that relationship and another one is like whether you try to conceive again or not and whether you're both on the same page and that and then we've got the actual the grief you know that deep grief and how you manage and cope with that along with all the other things you know mm. exercise gratitude these are all the subjects that we cover because they're all really important and they sort of getting your head back in in that mindset of you know with with what you do Lois this survive 
survival to survive. Surviving to survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew it was those words. I just couldn't remember the order. But it's so important in those kind of pillars of of recovery. And recovery is such a subjective word, isn't it? Because do you ever really recover? I don't know. It leaves it, it leaves its scar, doesn't it? That experience. All experiences leave their scar. But to be able to come together as a community and share your experience and be validated and seen and heard and understood is certainly what we found is the best way to move forward with your life, not on, because mm. we don't want to move on and we shouldn't move on, but to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren? You guys touched on... I guess I'm going to call it disenfranchised grief. These forms of grief where we don't really like publicly mourn or support people going through these kinds of grief. And, and maybe this experience of having, having that intensify the painfulness of the situation. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to your individual processes of how you how you started to work with that grief, especially in an area where there's so much there's so much discomfort and I think fear from people that well either they're oblivious or they're like scared they're gonna get it wrong and they don't say anything at all. Can you just speak to what what helped and what what might have harmed along the way well I can when you say about about how you dealt with it I can tell you now that I didn't deal with it very well yeah. if I'm completely honest I I was one of those people who withdrew and shut down and just didn't talk about it I think when I you hear so many phrases from people that invalidate your experiences or the at least we talk about quite a lot um you know at least it was early at least you're young at least you can try again all of those sorts of things um and after my first couple of miscarriages I started to those those phrases started to really get to me and I found that the more losses I had the less I don't, it felt like people were less interested and obviously they weren't, they just didn't know what to say. So they said nothing. So I thought, well, I'm not getting anything back from these people. So I just won't tell them about it. And that's why I think it's one of the most isolating experiences you can go through. And, and that's why what we do is so important because the more one person talks about it, the easier it is for other people to. And you'll find if you speak to anybody who's opened up about their experiences, They'll say that people came out of the woodwork, mm. people that were close to them in their, you know, friends and families or friends of friends would, would come out of the woodwork and say, oh, that happened to me as well. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's so important to have these conversations to um, to break the taboo. But one thing that did help me was um, I, I just kept going um, and it was more desperation than hope. Um, and uh, one day something switched for me and I started, I, I don't know, just started being a little bit more kind to myself um, and started 
opening up, but not not to other people. I started writing a blog um, and that helped me to get all my feelings out onto paper. And um, and that was really the turning point for me. So I think writing and talking openly um, are both very good sort of forms of, of therapy. Yeah. I dealt with it really, really badly as well because I just drank alcohol. So I used alcohol a lot just because I found my feelings so intense and painful and it was sort of drinking to to obliviate really is that a word or is that just harry potter mm, sounds like a good word yeah <laughs> um and that is you know that's it's a really slippery slope and it ended up with me i had to give up alcohol completely because i was in a really sort of precarious place um but it's so easy because i think as well as a society we are all completely we've grown completely reliant on a quick fix you know, there's not really a lot these days that you can't get immediately. And I think alcohol represents one of those quick fixes where it changes your state of mind almost immediately. And you can push the big red fuck it button and just go, do you know what? I don't care. I don't care today. I want some time off from these feelings. But obviously that's that comes at a cost because there's all sorts of implications involved in, in using alcohol to deaden emotion or, or to escape emotion because it's you you don't really do it it's just a, a mirage and then when you sober up it's worse um but no one says anything about that either and, and I've st- I talked a bit about alcohol and, and my use of it specifically on our podcast and so many people have come forward and said oh yeah you know I I, I'm, I feel the same and I'm doing the same and I really want to get out of it and but it's another thing you know it's, it's another thing that we find it really uncomfortable to talk about. So we don't talk about it. And it just perpetuates the the feelings of, of shame and isolation and and loneliness. Yeah. So yeah. But writing, I think, for both of us has been a really, really powerful tool to And help. this as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like creating this and and talking to people and helping them. Um I think has been the best. Community, yeah. And can you give us some examples for people who might be listening around a way to respond to someone going through loss that 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 could make things better instead of worse? No, say, keeping in mind everyone's different. Yeah. Say, yeah. so I would say first of all, saying something is better than saying nothing. So when you say nothing to someone who's experienced a loss, it makes them think that you don't care enough to say anything or that it wasn't important. And a really common misconception is that just because you lost your baby during pregnancy, it doesn't mean that your baby didn't exist. And that's how it can feel when someone doesn't acknowledge the fact that you have lost a baby is that your baby, your baby only existed to you. And that's not, it's not true. Your baby existed in this world just you didn't get to bring them home in your in your arms perhaps so I think that acknowledgement is really important even if you say like I would a hundred times rather someone said to me I don't know what to say but I'm thinking of you than cross the road to avoid me or talked about the weather or you know something something as kind of inane as that and the at least right yeah there are lots of things not to say but it's it's tricky because we understand that people are trying their best to comfort you and it's difficult like Bex touched on earlier it's difficult to see anyone in pain 
Um, and so we can often try to make people feel better. And by saying, oh, you're still young, you can try again, feels like you're, you know, geeing them on and mm. being positive. But actually, it's just making them think, well, but so that did that one not matter? Should I be over that? Should I just be cracking on and trying again? Um, so, yeah, there's lots of things not to say, but we think that it should just be met with love and kindness and even something as simple as I'm so sorry it's fucking shit what do you need from me yeah um yeah doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking just to let them know that you're there and that you're thinking of them I think we said in a we said in a post recently like um I'm sorry I'm here for you is worth a hundred thousand at least it was early and when you look at it like that, like I think anyone can see the love versus the kind of toxic positivity, because at least it was early is, is one that a lot of people get. A lot of people have told us, you know, oh, it was early, so therefore I didn't get attached to, to the pregnancy. But we all know that you do. You just do. And and writing something off as, you know, love, love isn't measured by gestation, right? Love, you can't. That's not how it works. And sort of invalidating that suffering by using an expression like that is is just so hurtful. But as Laura says, you know, we know that people are trying to be kind and we know that people are sort of trying to force us to look on the bright side of, of life. But for us at that point, there is no bright side of life. And that, if we can just to have that acknowledged, that is going to be what really helps. Well, I think the other thing is when people try to bury your pain, it's like it can just create resistance and prolong your pain right like sometimes we just I I have not lost a baby um but I have been separated from a child and like I just feel like the the more I tried to numb or ignore it the the harder it was yeah yeah there's an analogy about a um a beach ball the more you push it down underneath the surface of the water the more it, it will come it will come back up but with more force um the deeper down you try to push it mm. that's how i feel about like the toxic positivity you know mm. like if you if you just try and bury everything like you say it's just going to pop back up again and come bite you in the bum isn't it so, so better deal with it now or when it, you know obviously at first you aren't ready to deal with that like properly but you just get it out just I think the important thing like that you're saying really is just to get the emotions out and because yeah. it when you when you bury grief it comes back as, as and it manifests itself in different ways like anger and yeah. stuff that is really unhelpful and, and if you might not recognize it as that at the time when it when it comes back so it's really and holding anger is holding all that sort of toxicity is is so damaging in itself for for you physically and emotionally and mentally so I think the hardest thing to do is to sit with your grief and to acknowledge it and say you know you're welcome here it's so hard because it's so painful mm -hmm. but I also think it is one of the most empowering things to do and and kind of honor honor the person that you've you've lost obviously we're talking about baby loss here but it goes with any kind of grief doesn't it if you honor what you've lost then you can move forward from it absolutely yeah um off the back of that I want to say I want to really ask for each of you what was that kind of catalyst to help you move forward or know that you were ready and what what were the kind of first steps that you took 
to sort of get on the path to moving forward? Well, I never recovered from things before I was then trying again. Um, it was, like I said earlier, it was it was pure desperation to, to be a mum. Um, my first, I think I started off on a bit of a slippery slope, please, um, really, because my first miscarriage, I fell pregnant the, the cycle after without a period in between. So I had my second miscarriage straight away. So I never really had the chance to get over the first one before I was having the second one. And then from then on, it was just like, you know, pushing down the beach ball and carrying on to the next one. Um, just keep trying. And I became a bit of an obsessive, crazy, depressed, bitter person for a long time. I wouldn't have liked to have been friends with me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, your question was. <laughs> oh, I'm really reminiscing there, aren't you? <laughs> your, your question was, how did you manage it I mean yeah, like what kind of made you like there's that point so for me like I was having therapy and da 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 and there was like this kind of initial stage to my grief I know it's all different because yours was kind of ongoing and you know it's a very different kind of journey but what like to where you are now I guess you know setting up this incredible community and podcast and book and everything what kind of apart from obviously meeting Bex and and connecting what was it that kind of said inside your head, right, I've just, I, I need to change things. I need to kind of, you know, like your your mindset, your mental was, state, everything. Yeah, it was actually something um, not positive, but, but the positive came from it. My sister-in-law got pregnant and I hated her. I love her dearly. <laughs> I couldn't even look at her. I couldn't be in the same room as her. And um, yeah, it really, that really affected me. And actually, I say that we were talking about therapy earlier, and I say I've never been to therapy, but I did go once. And I went to this therapist and I said, you have to help me. I hate people that are pregnant. And I can't even, I can't stand my sister in law. And I really want to be happy for her. And I, I want to be part of this baby's life. But I just, I can't even talk to them about it. I never said congratulations. And you know, a year before they they lived in the same house as us. We lived with them for a couple of years and they were like Albezos and I just couldn't, yeah, it was horrible. And this therapist, she was like, well, I think you need to come to terms with your own grief before you start dealing with this. I was like, no, just help me not to hate my sister-in-law. And I, I never went back, but <laughs> that didn't, didn't, didn't go very well for me. I mean, you definitely sound like you didn't need to, so. I mean, I gave it a good shot, right? <laughs> it was from that that, I was like, I need to sort myself out. I need to, I need to do something. And um, so me and my husband decided that we couldn't keep doing this. I'd had six losses at that time. Um, that it, enough was enough. I needed to either, well, I need, we need to stop trying. And we, we went to an adoption open evening, looked into that. Um, and then, but then we also found a specialist and we said, right, we'll give it one last shot. Um, and I went on to have an ectopic pregnancy while we were waiting to see him. But then when I saw him, it worked. But otherwise, that was it. We were going to be, we were going to be done. Um, so yeah, it was out of the darkness that um, came light. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I think that like, shit to sunshine, right? With with, that favorite, <laughs> with with that, I mean, that's it's quite relevant to that as well. Is I wrote something about after giving up alcohol about how. You can't help the way you feel. You can't change the way you feel. But what you can do is work on yourself 
and the way you feel changes and actually really taking that on and being that kind of expression and just going, oh, I feel like this. I'm not going to try and stop that because I can't stop that. And actually for me, it has been phenomenal how just keeping working on myself and almost ignoring everything else that's going on and just going, right, okay, keep practicing gratitude. Keep keep it, keep going to bed early. Keep my nutrition on point. Keep exercising on a regular basis. Doing all these things for myself that don't necessarily, don't wouldn't necessarily connect with feeling anxious or feeling overwhelmed or keeping all of those things forefront really does change the way you perceive everything else or it certainly has for me it's made I find I have always found life incredibly challenging and that was part of the reason I used alcohol so much and actually now although I do still find you know I have definite ups and downs being able to focus on what I know is going to change the way I feel it has been really really helpful um, and that's a that's a sort of what's that word that it's not like self-help anymore <laughs> we use it you know personal development personal development is is that understanding that your feelings are just there boom but they are only feelings yeah. and they come and go and they will change as you change as a person mm. has been really helpful you asked me once on a podcast how would you have done it differently? And I said, I couldn't have done it differently. I couldn't have coped with it any differently. I would, because I, I, at the time I couldn't, I was in that space and I didn't have all of these tools that I have now. I didn't have, didn't know all of these wonderful experts that, you know, now I'm able to, to practice a lot of those things. But um, back then I couldn't have changed it. But what I wish I had done is like Bex just said, put that, in a box that's that's my miscarriage part of my life but there's also lots of other parts of my life that I can can work on and I can make improvements and I can be happy but um it's difficult when you're in that fog yeah absolutely yeah I think you need to kind of get through that initial rawness don't you to be able to yeah to be able to kind of start to move forward and even think even think about it even think yeah. about changing your mindset and, and what you do every day. Um, mm. But I think it's interesting what you said, Bex, about this whole kind of almost routine um, that I swear by as well. Like it just helped me massively um, make big changes. And I always say when you make the little changes, the big changes will then come. There's, um, um, there's an amazing book called Atomic Habits by uh, James Clear. Mm-hmm. and that's all about it's essentially about that about making little habits doing making little habits part of your routine because it's over time it's consistency that will get you the, the big stuff you know it's consistency that will bring you that contentment I believe mm-hmm. in in your life and I think it's not it's not it, my biggest issue is with consistency. Like I wish I was more consistent, but forming these little habits that are easy to keep. Cause you can't go from here. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym six days a week, every week. Cause it's just not, it's not sustainable. Mm. But if you, if you aim to go at least for example, like once a week, that's a habit that you can stick to. If you know, you're always going to be available that day and da, 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 da. These little habits just go to make big improvements. Yeah. Yeah, I always say as well, like, you just have to have one thing, just try one thing, 
And when you've got that down and that feels like it's easy and it's natural, then add something else. And add, and then before you know it, you've got all these new habits that are changing your life and you didn't even realize it. Like I look back from even just a year ago, and I'm like, yeah. whoa, you know, I've changed so much just by changing things in my life and changing my perspective and using lots of different healing modalities. But, you know, it's it's incredible, the journey when you look back but when you're on it, sometimes it, it seems like nothing's changing quick enough, you know, because I'm one of those. I'm like, consistency used to be a big problem for me. And also just sticking to, you know, just sticking to anything. Like I get really excited at the beginning and then I'll be like, yeah. it's not working quick enough. Right. Forget that. Try something else. Yeah. Um, and when you learn to actually realize that you like you say, you have to be consistent to see the changes. It might take a little bit of time. But once you start to see those changes, you're like you do think wow and then it sort of gives you a bit of motivation to keep going doesn't it and that goes back with what we were saying earlier as well doesn't it about um how oh I can't remember I've lost my train of thought (laughs) links back sorry (laughs) what are you talking about consistency consistency (laughs) habits oh it's going to come back (laughs) no I have started started CrossFit though ah nice how you find it i do know what it is i don't i don't do it personally but i do know what it is i know what it was until i discovered it and i'm like i missed what you said what was it crossfit CrossFit. oh okay do you know what it is is? yeah uh, crossfit's actually i think they have a crossfit center in ithaca if you want to get ripped right yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) mine's not ithaca mine's more like you know talent but yeah (laughs) um yeah I can't remember there we go okay. well if it's important it'll come back up will it yeah. <laughs> um Lauren I have one other question and I don't know how it's going to sit with you but I'm curious if either of you would be willing to share sort of like what your grief used to feel like and what it feels like now and how how things have shifted or maybe not shifted and I I think um I think it might be helpful to some of our listeners if you're willing to talk about it I think grief for me is I wrote a post on this and it's like if you imagine grief to start with it's like you know a raw wound it's it's a, a trauma and so you put your clothes on and it hurts you know if it's on your arm you pull pull your sleeve up and it hurts really really hurts and then as it as the time goes past obviously it heals and it's you you hurt it less often but then it's always there you can always see it and you can although it doesn't hurt in the same way to the same intensity like you can just looking at that 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 scar reminds you of the of the pain that once was so it's not necessarily something I think about all the time but whenever I do and often if we talk about it in a podcast I will always cry because I can always take myself back to that level of pain when I think about what I went through but it's like the ball in the box analogy isn't it Mm, the old ball in the box yeah (laughs) so we've got this analogy in our book about how grief changes over time and is it the ball gets bigger yeah there's the pain button there's a pain button yeah 
and the the ball get to begin with the ball is constantly hitting the pain button and then over time the ball gets smaller and every so often it will hit it will hit the button and it hits the button more infrequently as as it goes on and gets smaller but it still hurts it's still the same intensity of pain every time it hits just less often yeah and I guess that's a good analogy I think it's it changes context and shape and intensity and it, but it it doesn't it becomes part of your story it becomes part of your tapestry you know like a, a an actual wound wood on your on your arm it's always going to be a scar and it's always going to be there and part of part of your life and part of your body but it it doesn't necessarily cause you pain every day mm. That's so true. That really resonates with me, by the way. It's a very good analogy. I like that. She loves an analogy. I do you? love analogies. I really do. <laughs> um, okay, so I have one more question um, for you both. If you had kind of one piece of advice for people coming out of some shit, baby loss or, or otherwise, um, and they want to move forward, but could do with a, a good tip what what one tip would you give them I would say talk if you're not up for talking then listen if you can hear other people who have been through similar experiences that can help with isolation talking is ideal when you're ready open up but until you're ready then listening should do um did I steal your one yeah yeah I'll, 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 I'll go <laughs> Um, I would say like getting rid of drama from your life is a really good idea. So maybe write down the stuff that day-to-day -day stuff that stresses you out and, and get rid of it, replace, replace those habits, replace those bad habits. Like for example, social media, right? Scrolling, comparing yourself to everyone else. That stuff can be so damaging. So replace that habit with get a new book. And where every time you start to find yourself scrolling, read your book. And for me, that sort of habit replacement has been really, really helpful. Um, I just think it it promotes a kind of healthier level of um, of, of the way to live, really. Hmm. I like that. And uh, there's a really good book called The Worst Girl Gang Ever. I yeah, it's really good. It's really <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Amazon bestseller, I hear. Oh, wow. It's four different categories. Yeah. Was it four or three? Um, five now we got it the other day as well oh did we mm. oh. Excellent. yeah congrats ladies and thanks I have to say, i've got the audio and the hard copy nice i'm that dedicated you're probably the reason we were a bestseller <laughs> um so ladies it's been absolutely amazing to have you on here um please tell everybody where they can find you what's available for them out there yeah so if you type if you type into Google the worst girl gang ever, you're pretty good. Pretty much, there's only one. We we're we are the one and only. Mm -hmm. Unique, unique. Um, our books available all over the world, um, and our oh, it's all it's all coming basically over the next month. It's all if you type in that, there's loads and loads of stuff coming up that we're really really excited about. When is this podcast going out? Um, this episode will be released. Probably in a couple of weeks, actually, okay. from now. So very soon. Right. Or would you like about... to make it later and then you can reveal your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, because we're not sure what we're allowed to reveal yet. Right. No. All right. Well, some exciting news coming from the worst girl gang ever, everybody. You heard it here first. <laughs> Our podcast <laughs> you can find on all usual podcasting platforms. Amazing. Series six is launching also in about a month's time. That's amazing. It's amazing what you've done in two years. I have to say it's absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, you ladies are just incredible. So thank you so much for sharing your stories and sharing your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom and all that good stuff. Thank Thanks you so much us. for having us. It's nice to be on someone else's podcast. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. Nice to have a good old chat. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm sorry about all the sniffing in your editing. I've got oh, such no, don't worry. As I said, this is incredibly relaxed and lovely and just a nice chat so that everybody can kind of have a listen and get to know everyone. So so we're we're quite happy for it to be very casual and informal. Oh. Um so thank you so much again. Thank you everyone for listening to the to I nearly said the worst girl gang ever <laughs> on the Shit to Sunshine podcast. And we will see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.